HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Nyman Ranch. I'm Paul Willis, a fifth-generation farmer and co-founder of Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Learn more about us at nymanranch.com. A restaurant that I miss dining at is Mineta Tavern. It's in Manhattan's Greenwich Village, and it's just got an ambiance that is dark and sexy and romantic and yet fun and energetic. And it just always has a great vibe. And I miss that. I was able to do takeout from Mineta Tavern this past summer during the pandemic. And I picked up their Black Label burger and I took it over to Washington Square Park and enjoyed it having a little picnic and it was quite delicious. But I missed dining at the restaurant and enjoying the burger in the space around fellow diners and and just the feel and the energy of the restaurant. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. This episode is produced in collaboration with The Counter, a nonprofit independent nonpartisan newsroom investigating the forces shaping how and what America eats. I'm Dylan Hoyer, a communications associate and audio producer for Heritage Radio Network. Today we're asking, what do communities gain when restaurants reopen? As the United States rolls back pandemic-era restrictions, many restaurants are welcoming eaters back and expanding their seating capacity. This is a direct result of rising vaccination levels across the country and has major public safety implications. It holds promise as a needed boon to our economy. And after more than a year of isolation, reopenings offer a sorely missed space to connect. That's what we're going to be talking about today. A diner I love, it's called Al's Breakfast, um, and I've been there plenty of times and it really is this teeny tiny place where people come and they talk and it feels like it's just the crossroads of town and that is something that um, the, the owner said that you know she considers herself a steward 
not just of the restaurant, but of that, that sense of community that exists within the restaurant. This is Doug Mack, a Minneapolis-based writer and a contributor to The Counter. Lately, one of my interests has been the cultural issues surrounding restaurants, not so much the food in and of itself, but sort of the symbolism of restaurants beyond the food. In this episode, you'll hear from him and others in the HRN community as they share why their love of restaurants extends beyond the meal itself. We think of coffee shops and, you know, sitting up, sitting there to work at a laptop maybe, um, or, you know, hanging out at the bar. But we don't necessarily think about the fact that those interactions that we have and, and having that space outside of home and, and outside of a formal office space is actually a really essential part of life. In an article for The Counter, Doug takes some familiar feelings about gathering spaces and looks at them through an academic lens. The big one here is the idea of a third place. So in your life, you have the first place, which is your home where you live. You have a second place, which would be where you work. Um, and then the third place is something or some place that is used purely for socialization. And this is a concept that uh, it comes from a sociologist named uh, Roy Oldenburg. And he, he writes that in many ways, the third place is more home-like than home. Because it's not some place, again, where you have, you know, you can see the, the things that you need to clean, or you can see the stack of bills that need to be paid. It's just a place where you can be yourself. In stark contrast to a year of quarantining at home, in a third place, we can feel at home in a crowded space. You can think of, of like the regulars in Cheers or at, at any given bar, restaurant, coffee shop. These are people who, who might not know each other well enough to, say, go to each other's weddings. But they are people who know each other to a certain degree. And um, they have these, what, what sociologists call the, these weak connections. They're these, these weak links. And... Um, those actually turn out to be very beneficial in terms of, of networking, um, in terms of, you know, you, you casually mentioned that you're looking for a couch, say, or a job, or, you know, these little things that might come up in conversation. And to lose that, to lose these places where we can hang out um, and talk to people in this very informal way um, is actually pretty detrimental um, to, to our lives. A serendipitous moment I have had at a restaurant. One that comes to mind is a time we were going upstate for a vacation. There's a restaurant called Pika Moose that my husband and I went to. And we sat down there and the food was delicious, but the, the best thing that happened was we were seated between two other couples, one of them probably a little bit younger than us, and then the other couple, an older couple. And for whatever reason, we just struck up a conversation and really hit it off and like talked all night. And it was like we were like immediate friends and just joking with each other like all night and and having our, our separate meals. But like this was a place where we just went and expected a meal and we walked out having like made a couple of friends and I miss that. I miss just sort of meeting people in in restaurants and striking up random conversations with folks and um, just connecting. I miss that too. 
this is a case where not having something makes you more attuned to its existence. Not having these weak links in your life, not having the opportunity to see these people who maybe you don't even know their last name, maybe you don't know where they live, but you know their first name and you might know a few personal things about them. And, you know, you probably took it for granted that you would see, you know, the same cashier at the grocery store or the same person at the bar at the coffee shop. There are all these relationships in society, but in, in particular in restaurants and bars and coffee shops, these places where you kind of linger, right? And it's something that I hope people will will cherish a little bit more. I asked Doug if he found any ways to substitute this sense of community during the past year. I, I have thought about this and there maybe that's the answer is there is just no substitution. All you can do is just hang on and try to get back to the place that has meaning to you, your, your own third place when this is over. It's called Onigiri, and it was in East Village, and I don't know if it's going to reopen because I passed by like a week ago, and um, I really wanted to go inside, and they were closed. They were locked up, and I was very, very sad, but they sell like onigiris, like these Japanese rice balls for $1, which was amazing. Um, The owners were Chinese. And so, like, anytime, this is, like, a thing that I do, where anytime that I sense that, like, the owners of anything, like, the laundromat downstairs or the little convenience store around the corner, like, if I sense that the owners are Chinese and, like, prefer to speak Chinese, I will automatically speak Chinese to them. And so, um, I start speaking Chinese to the the owners of Onigiri, and the lady was so nice, and she was like, oh, like take a take another role on us and i was like what like oh my god it was was very nice of them um and i don't know just like felt very very huggy um (laughs) that's not the right word felt very comforting just to like get something nice from someone from like a complete stranger that i've never really met before um i don't know felt like a little piece of home because i'm so far away from home i'm from california We'll be back after a short break. My name is Paul Willis. I'm a fifth-generation hog farmer, and I owned and operated the Willis Free Range Pig Farm for over 41 years. I've dedicated my life to revitalizing sustainable hog farming methods in the Midwest and moving farms away from the common industrial practices. In 1998, I established the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. I'm proud to say Nyman Ranch has since grown into a network of over 740 independent family farmers and ranchers today. At Nyman Ranch, our animals are raised with care. We believe that the quality of an animal's life impacts the quality of the meat. Our high standards were developed with the help of animal welfare expert, Dr. Temple Grandin, and are among the strictest in the industry. All of our animals live outdoors or in deeply bedded pens, and they're never given antibiotics or added hormones ever, and are only fed a high-quality 100% vegetarian diet. Whether they're raising hogs, cattle, or lamb, Nyman Ranch farmers and ranchers share our commitment to traditional farming. Raising livestock in the way our parents and grandparents did 
and supporting our rural communities. We share a common belief that humane and sustainable methods produce the best possible flavor. Learn more about our work at Nyman Ranch at nymanranch.com. Welcome back to the Big Food Question. While some of the joy third places offer stems from serendipity, third places can also be fostered intentionally. In Manhattan, Malibu Diner was constructed more than 40 years ago, at about the same time as, and only a few doors down from, an apartment building for people who are blind or visually impaired. These institutions have grown together, and today, visually impaired inhabitants of the apartment building are also regulars at the diner. Menus are offered in Braille, loud music plays outside so diners know they have arrived, and the kitchen is always willing to chop up a meal into small bite-sized pieces. And so I think it's also useful for business owners to be aware of, you know, how they design their space, um, how they create a a welcoming um, environment for, for all types of people. In nearby Brooklyn, queer residents mourned the closing of Mimi's Diner this past fall, as it had become a gathering ground for the LGBTQ community. New Yorker writer Helen Rosner memorialized the restaurant, writing, quote, From my first visit, being at Mimi's felt almost disorientingly, like it was a restaurant, a time, a place, a mood, made just for me. I think it felt like that for almost everyone who walked through the door. The best possible version of coming home and being surrounded by friends, even if you didn't actually know another soul in the place, end quote. The number of LGBTQ bars has dropped significantly over the past few decades, and the pandemic has only exacerbated this trend. Doug hopes purposefully rebuilding third places will be part of the post-pandemic future. I think that it's going to be really important and useful for people and organizations and institutions that have the means to open and nurture third places to continue to do so, you know, um, again, that includes places like libraries, which um, tend to be a a governmental institution. Um, But there are also some things that some nonprofits have done. There is a nonprofit in Iowa and another one um, in Vancouver, Washington, that have actually set up their own their own diners. And in both cases, these are places um, that provide free meals for seniors. One of them is actually a branch of Meals on Wheels. But what they realized was that when they would have these these older people come in to um, to have their their meals, they were often just socializing with people who were around the same age, who had many of the same lived experiences, who lived in the same areas. They weren't really branching out. They weren't having these serendipitous uh, discussions with people who were outside of their own social network. And so these these nonprofits opened diners where anyone can come and you can pay for, for a diner meal. If you're a senior, you can also just use it as your meal center and get your regular free meal. But the idea is that people of all ages um, can come and sit and interact. And they are really intentionally trying to create a third place that is this sort of egalitarian gathering ground. 
So I went to Tulane in New Orleans, and um, we spend a day before you graduate in the French Quarter just, like, indulging in New Orleans culture and, like, being a tourist. And um, I was with my friend Margot, and we kind of, like, veered off from the group and ended up in this dive bar off the beaten path of the French Quarter, and we ended up talking to this old couple for, like, three hours. Um, It was just, like, this awesome conversation about, like, graduating and life and our interests and passions and like adulthood and just getting a lot of wisdom from this older couple and as we were leaving and we were saying goodbye and exchanging contact information the couple gave us an a hundred and a hundred dollar bill and it was super weird and they were like just take this like go out to eat and like have a really good meal like you two and we looked at each other and we were like okay um because we were just like poor college kids and never indulged in like some epic New Orleans restaurants so we took the money and went to this fancy spot and just got like a platter full of oysters and fancy drinks and just sort of like had a ball. During the pandemic restaurant tables have moved six feet away from one another making connections like these far more rare. But restaurants didn't just empty out. They were transformed into sites of social and cultural anxiety, becoming an epicenter of political rhetoric and public health policy. This made diners wary of one another. I asked Doug whether this has altered their potential as third places, but he said he doesn't believe restaurants have ever been totally pure. When we think about restaurants and other establishments as third places, it's also important to understand that a gathering ground isn't necessarily welcoming to everyone, right? It can also sort of function uh, as like a clubhouse. It can be exclusionary, right? Um, You know, Starbucks likes to talk about how it's a third place, everyone is welcome. Um, But then there was also the the case um, a few years back where there were two black men who were um, waiting at a Starbucks for a friend before ordering, and and they were kicked out. They were arrested. Insofar as restaurants are places to come together, they can also be sites of conflict and even inequity. So it is useful to think of it as not simply this thing where a third place is inherently welcoming to everyone and everyone just gets along and it's this sort of ideal world. It, it, it's not that, but it's still useful to, to understand them as these gathering grounds that can at times uh, reach toward that goal. What a year of takeout has reminded me is that restaurants are certainly more than the food they serve. I have been thankful for their food so frequently this past year. But oh my god, I cannot wait to enjoy ambiance and lingering conversations and people watching. And I am grateful to know that these institutions are ready to welcome us back. I definitely miss like having a sense of camaraderie with with customers. I feel like when someone comes up to our window now to order, A, there's a sheet of glass between us. So there's like a literal barrier, barrier between us. I can't see their face and it's not, it doesn't feel like it's appropriate to like linger and chat, chit chat, you know? 
Obviously, there's the shitty parts about service that everybody talks about being a waiter, like horrible patrons. But then there's also really great patrons and really nice, like pleasant conversations you can have with people while you're serving them. And that I think that's been hard because that's taken away. So, yeah, that's what I miss about working in service. Thanks for listening. I hope we will be dining side by side, overhearing one another's conversations, and sharing smiles very soon. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks for this episode to Doug Mack and everyone else who submitted their stories about restaurants. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Kat Johnson, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, and Luke Griffin. This episode's producer was me, Dylan Hoyer. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of the series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.